Well, it's been a, it's a real honor to have uh, Virginia Morales uh, with us today. Uh, I've known her as Vicky. She's one of my oldest friends. And due to the fact that I've known her for so many years, and uh, she's known me longer than and perhaps anyone in this room, I will not allow her to speak without me being present on stage to uh, turn off her mic, should that come up. But uh, Virginia Morales is an oncology nurse at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. Now, an oncology nurse or oncologist doctor, there, there are doctors and nurses that care for those who have cancer. She first decided to pursue nursing when she attended Camp DeConnick one summer. Witnessing the camp staff giving of themselves inspired her to do the same. She was also profoundly impacted, she writes, by a dear friend, Corey McPherson, whose life of caring and giving uh, witnessed to her how awesome God is. Uh, <laughs> She completed the nursing program at Western Connecticut State University and then went on to complete her master's at New York University. Virginia has received the Rudin Award for Excellence in Nursing, which is an international organization, and more recently has been globally recognized with the Frontline Care Award presented by the Oncology Nursing Society. Now, have a, a brief, she's also been a member of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir for the last 20 years. Uh, we have a brief video we're going to show, and then I'm sure you'll welcome uh, Virginia this morning. One thing I really treasure here at Memorial Sloan Kettering is that nurses are really respected and valued. As a nurse, you really are at the front lines with those patients and their families. Having the equipment, having the supplies allows you to provide the care that you want to give the patient. The hospital administration and the institution recognize um, the importance of having us work to our potential. We have clinical ladders for registered nurses as well as nurse practitioners. I work with incredible nurses that are intelligent, compassionate. No one is working on their own. Everyone really just come together to try and help do whatever is needed to help this patient survive. You have patients that are extremely, extremely giving and so brave. And to witness that uh, really helps you grow as an individual, as a nurse. You have this report with the family um, that they can really trust you. And they really look to the nurses for help and for decisions. And you almost become like one of their family members. I think it's an honor to have even a small part in a patient's course of their treatment here to be able to advocate for people, to be able to care. It is so fulfilling to know that I did what I'm called to do. And one of, it's on. One, <laughs> mic, mic, check. <laughs> one of the reasons that, yeah, that was funny. One of the reasons that I wanted Vicki to be here today is not only because she's a dear friend, um, but also because whatever area you're going into, um, it is a calling. And uh, I had invited Vicky before I'd even seen the video, and the video captured it well. So, is my mic on? It's not on. <laughs> uh, so Vicky captured it well, that regardless of what you do in life, it is a calling. Uh, it is a calling of God, and, and wanted to just chat with her today uh, about that. Um, so there's a few things when I'd go over to Vicky's house that were, were guaranteed. There were two things that were guaranteed. One, her mother would always feed me rice and beans. That's number one. I would always, I would always have rice and beans. And um, there, was always, there was always food in the house, even though times were tough. And uh, she had five, there were five siblings altogether. But 
every time I went over, I was guaranteed to see another child that I did not know. Um, and that is because of her mom's care and dad's care and your family's care for uh, foster children. So tell us a little bit about your home life and growing up and um, all of that. So he was over all the time <laughs> and ate all our rice and beans. <laughs> and us kids had nothing. No, just kidding. <laughs> so um, praise God, though. Uh, yes, my parents did give birth to five and through the years, um, I actually called my mom last night and said, Mom, how many kids came through the house? And she said there were 45. And, um, and she, uh, my parents did adopt five. And um, so there is 10 in the Morales household. And actually, I'm very proud to say that the youngest, youngest one in our family is here. Alex, stand up. She uh, was six months when she came, and now she's 18. And I'm encouraging her to go to college. <clears throat> hint, hint. So, um, but praise God. Yes, there was always a lot of kids. And um, my parents did adopt. Um, but there was also um, one of my best friends grew up in our household too. So there were many um, that were fostered, then adopted, and or church people, or whomever my mom found on the streets of New York City. And I kid you not, she would do that. Yes. <laughs> one person. It's definitely one of the most caring, caring families I'd ever been a part of, which is why I would want to hang out often and because they always fed me. But um, really just a loving, uh, caring family, which it doesn't surprise me. Uh, you went into nursing. Uh, uh, Vicki uh, did, did attend ENC for a year uh, and then uh, transferred to another school to, where they had a nursing program. Now, you can still go get a nursing, I think it's pre-nursing here, and you really should look into the program because it's a great partnership we have with other schools where you just go one year after ENC, and I think you have your master's and your RN, and it's, it's a great program, which we didn't have at the time because I'm sure you would have stayed. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, but I didn't know. I knew you came from the most loving, caring family I'd ever seen, um, but we did not know you were going to go into nursing. You did not know you were going into nursing, and I felt like... I feel like I was a part of the moment you realized you would go into nursing. And this, this, (laughs) the story we're about to share is a true story. This is an absolute true story. Our versions are a little different, but it's true. So do you, do you want to share your side first? Why don't I, I'll share my side first. Yeah, you share. (laughs) We're working together at Camp Taconic in Metro New York which is a, a, a campground for the Church of Nazarene, the Metro New York District. And I don't remember if it was, a, it must have been a summer, a summer camp. And there was a large, it was a retreat weekend. And there was a large church there. And um, all the children were in a separate time with the children's program. And the, the uh, adult service went long and the kids were getting hungry. So someone foolishly made the idea, well, why don't we just feed the kids ourselves? And it was like steak day or something like there was like. Specifically roast beef. It was roast beef. And none of the kids knew how to, like, cut their meat or anything. Like, we should not have fed these children. I don't know who, who made this decision, but someone did. It wasn't me. <laughs> a girl started choking, literally. She could not breathe. She stood up. She was panicking. She was probably around five or six. She, yeah, she was, she was young. young. And uh, I, I was very calm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop you right now. Corey, in a white apron... <laughs> pitcher in one hand, 
panic because the girl is in his row. We were all responsible for our individual row to serve water, drinks, coffee, whatever. Corey, is there a doctor? Is there a nurse? And that's you or that's you. You were not calm in the least bit. Uh, that is true. That's true. That is true. So Vicky, and there were no... And I may have been, I, I don't remember what you, I was maybe 21, 22. I mean, I was probably the oldest one on the staff or something. There was no doctor or nurse around. I knew that. But Vicky. And at that point, I was thinking accounting, business-minded, had no idea. But I had seen those pictures of the Heimlich many a time. So Vicky uh, begins giving the little girl, uh, doing the Heimlich. And uh, applied it two or three times. And then uh, the meat finally came up and flew across the room. <laughs> And she really did save her life. There's no, there's no question about that. I'll never forget she her. She really did. Oh, that's it. Wait, 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 wait. Great. I'm not done. I'm not done. Oh, I'm going to jump Okay. Now, I panicked in my own way. Uh, but Vicky was also panicking <laughs> <laughs> because she kept giving the Heimlich long after the girl, <laughs> long after the girl spit up the beef. She kept going. I... And the little girl's like, it's out. It's out. And I'm like... Vicky, we need to calm down now. Uh, that is she, a lie. That from is the true. Pit of hell, no, that okay? is true. That is true. You know that is true. So after I did the Heimlich a few times and it came out, and, and I'll never going. forget that precious little girl just taking that deep breath. Like finally, air came back into her lungs. She took her breath, and then I lost it. Went in the back room, started crying, and then he's like, "Way to go!" She kept on saying, "It's out, it's out," <laughs> and I was like, "Whatever." Oh, yeah. God, that was- so she she only broke three or four ribs after that. It was fine, uh, but that actually was a, a moment for you where you uh, thought about going into nursing. So you went to school to be a nurse, attended ENC for a year, uh, did your undergraduate at Western Connecticut, and we both have people in our lives, uh, the same people in our lives. Uh, I was actually probably it was that summer. I wanted to come back to finish my schooling here, but I had a school bill. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, um, but uh, and I didn't have the money to pay for it. My parents couldn't help me. And there were two uh, uh, ladies at that camp, uh, Blanche and Margie. Uh, we were both graduates from Eastern Nazarene College. And their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And um, they had heard, and I was praying for weeks, Lord, I want to go back, but I can't afford my outstanding balance that I have. And I'm sure none of you can relate to that as well. Um, uh, and uh, the last night of camp... Uh, I received a gift from them of a few thousand dollars where they paid off my school bill so I could return to ENC. Uh, but they also then invested in your life as well. I think we have a picture of them. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Blanche and Margie. So tell us how they, uh, what they've done. <laughs> I love this picture. <laughs> tell, tell us what they've done for you. Okay, so let me just briefly, uh, briefly tell you. So um, Margie's the little peanut on the bottom left. And... Um, Margie uh, was Camp Taconic's nurse, I don't know, maybe 30-plus years. Um, and she, was, uh, she had come to ENC, and then she went into the Air Force, and she was an Air Force nurse, and then felt her calling was at Camp Taconic, and she served there for many years. Blanche Gresset, um, on the top left, she, too, um, came here to ENC, and she played basketball, and... Um, Till this day, she says that she got her degree in boyology. I kid you not. And um, she's very funny. And she's actually still very involved in ministry, now taking Florida by storm. Um, So those two ladies were the ones who invested in me. It was at Camp Taconic. 
Um, and I think Hampticonic prepared me for the long hours that were going to come when it came time to do nursing. Um, so anyway, it was there uh, working, and every year at, during the summer, the summer college staff were always from ENC. And because um, at the time it was Reverend Burgers who was involved, who also came to ENC. Um, and so got all his staff from here. And it was there that really um, the staff from this school that made me realize, wow, look at the way they serve with just a happy spirit. I want that. I want it. And, um, and then with that story about the Heimlich and certain things, I knew that God was calling me to serve as a nurse. And Blanche and Margie, out of the blue, said, we know... You're, you're the first one to go to college out of your family. Correct. So there are 10 children, and if they, you count the five adoptions. Correct, and yeah. they knew that financially there was no way I'd be able to do that, nor my parents would be able to, and um, they paid my way through nursing school. And I think you lived with Blanche for five years, I believe. You yep. lived at her home. I lived with Blanche. Um, after you left here. Yes, I left from here. Then I uh, spent the summer at camp, then went to Blanche. Um, yep, they gave me my first uh, car and just God's provisions. There's no other way to explain it, but it was the hand of God. They only gave me a couple thousand. I don't know. You got a full, full ride. Um, He's a little bitter. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm very Maybe good. I should have worked here. a little bit longer at Camp Tacoma. Oh, yeah. I'm actually, that's funny. I'm actually, uh, uh, I'm very grateful. I wouldn't be here without them, without that, that one contribution. I would not, not be here. So tell us what a nurse, an oncology nurse does. It's own Kettering. It's part of your calling. Yes. What does that mean? Tell us what it means. Tell us what your calling means. Sure. Um, So here's the beauty of oncology nursing. First of all, um, a little tidbit. I thought for sure when I went into nursing, I was going to be um, a nurse midwife and help deliver babies in the Philippines or Africa, Haiti, wherever. I always felt that I had a calling to do ministry. Well, lo and behold, once I was going through nursing school and then, again, by the grace of God, Um, received a scholarship for NYU. Um, It was there. One of my coworkers said, oh, come to Sloan. It's great, supportive, you know, nursing um, facility. So I went there, never knowing. I had no desire to be with people dealing with cancer um, and some of those patients having to deal with end of life. So here I thought I'd be ushering people in this world, and I have the privilege of ushering people out. So, um, and here I thought I was going to be doing ministry overseas or far away, and I do it in my own backyard in New York City. So it's really amazing. I get to pray with patients. I get to sing to them. I get to just be with them in, in a really tough time. What's, um, what's the most challenging aspect of your work, and what's the most rewarding so I would definitely say, you know, the challenge is, you know, here we are as Christians out in the world, we are required to fulfill certain requirements. And as a nurse, there's no question, I have to meet deadlines, I have to do paperwork, I have to meet certain tasks. But then the psychosocial aspect of meeting the, those patients' needs and really um, meeting their spiritual needs. So balancing that is not easy. And literally, from where I parked the car from 61st to 68th, I literally 
call on God like you would not believe. Lord, be extended. Be, may I be your hands extended. Lord, cover me, protect me, my patience, my work, what I say, what I portray, everything. So I really find that that's challenging because here we are in the world, but we're called to be Christians, not just in the church, but out into the world in different areas of our life. And we were talking last night that um, in addition to the long hours you put in at Sloan, I think you said 12 to 14 hour days, two or three days a week, and then you have a couple days off. On those off days, uh, you then do private care um, for those that have cancer. And you've, she, she didn't feel comfortable mentioning names, but some very high profile names uh, that you would know if I'd mentioned them. Um, I guess they often go to Sloan looking for their nurses. Um, and... Um, some she's had to pray with uh, in their last days. And again, some names that you would know if I had mentioned them this morning. Tell me a little bit about that work outside Sloan Kettering where you're kind of with people in their last days as their private care nurse. Sure. I think that's, again, the favor of God. Um, you know, I recognize I'm just the nurse, right? And who am I? But the beauty of it is that when you have the favor of God and what they value as important to them in their last days. It's really, it's mind-blowing. So really, God has given me such an opportunity to be with a lot of these people that are high-profile people and then some that just are ridiculously wealthy. Um, And they want me at the bedside. And I think it's because they are drawn, they they don't know it, but it's drawn to Christ and the peace that, that comes with that. And then having the opportunity to share Christ and pray with them um, is just really amazing. And from hearing some of the clients that you were caring for, it sounds like you build a strong relationship not only with the patient but also with their family. Um, And it sounds like that's part of the ministry as well. Absolutely, because, you know, cancer doesn't just involve the patient itself. Um, It really does involve the whole family. It's a scary time. Um, and thank God with so many advances in cancer, it, it's not always a scary time, you know, but for the most part, it just brings on a lot of, a wave of emotions. So it's really ministry to the whole family. And I know you can't mention the name, but, um, if you could just briefly share the story that you shared with me last night, um, that again, not only are they high profile, but pretty wealthy, um, clients that you have just because they are going to Sloan Kettering because they know those are the best nurses um, that uh, they heard some other high profile executives were in the room and kind of dismissed you uh, uh, but this one that you were caring for would not have that could you tell that story just a sure, bit sure. so it was uh, a time and I'm out in the Hamptons and uh, living it up just kidding <laughs> And um, I'm sitting with my patient, very anxious, but a lovely gentleman. And uh, we're watching the television, and he's doing his critiquing. And some executive comes in and doesn't even acknowledge that I'm a living, breathing person in the room. I'm okay with that. I leaned over, and I said, I'm going to go in the kitchen. And he leaned over and said, don't move. So I sat there. The gentleman offered uh, my patient a drink. He said, sure. The gentleman goes, makes a drink, comes over, has one glass for himself and one glass for my patient, goes to give it to my patient, and he does not lift his hand. And he said, 
you know, there's three people in this room. And I was just so blown away. I was like, wow, what amazing character this gentleman has. It was really neat. I think that's a witness and testimony that it's, it's not just a, there is a relationship that's formed, especially as you help them usher them out, as you said, in the last days of their life where they really start caring and loving. It sounds like even ministering to you in some ways. Oh, definitely. Um, I certainly get blessed. Um, you know, this one specific case that you were talking about, um, to be able to hold his hand and tell him you're dying was intense. But for him to be able to look me in the eye and say, I'm ready. And I was like, my work here is done. Now, um, these opportunities that you've been given, um, you sound obviously very busy in your career. And so you don't, you currently don't, you do have a very, very, very large family and care for many, but you're not, you're currently single and uh, are not married at this time. Classic. He would bring that up. We talked about this. You don't. <laughs> I am an open book. It's okay. <laughs> but tell, tell us a, a little bit about that. Maybe it's just first C's or not. But because of that, in Scripture, we've been looking at First Corinthians. Even in First Corinthians, Paul talks about um, the opportunities that are available for those that, that aren't married. So not that this was your plan necessarily, but you're just faithful to whatever God is calling. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how you feel sure. and navigate that. So there's two things I would like to say, and I hope I remember both of them. But um, first things, um, there's no question, especially growing up in a large family with a lot of kids in the house, and I was definitely the mother hen of the group. Um, I thought by now, now that I'm 40, I thought I'd be married, I'd have kids. And yeah, that's not what the Lord had in mind. Um, But to be able to stand here or sit here and say, God is so good. Because let me just tell you something. There's no question. Um, and this is going to divert for a second. So here I thought for sure I would be somewhere, you know, serving God wherever in the world. And here it is in my own backyard. Yet God still met the desire I had to be overseas. And I've had the opportunity to be involved in medical missions. And I've been in the Middle East three different times in the West Bank. I've been into Philippines Africa several times, India, um, I've been to Haiti several times and to um, Honduras and Costa Rica, you know, so I've been able to also experience around the world and every time I feel that the Lord reminds me when I do these medical missions, I, gee, I think, wow, the Lord still granted the desire of my heart to be somewhere far and to meet those needs there. Yet he always reminds me, but for now your ministry is in your own backyard with these patients. And then on the other side, I'm like, wow, there's no way if I was married, I would have been able to do all this to reach the people that I've done. My sister, um, Olga, who came here her first year too. Um, you know, she said to me, you know, Vic, Yeah, I'm married. Yes, I have a child. But I can't do what you've done. You could still get married, you know, and have a family. But what I've done, you know, there's no way I'd be able to do it. So my point is, is that for this season, there's a calling for each season. And I really feel that in that, God has truly been enough. 
Beautiful. So, um, is there anything that um, anything that you'd like to share? I wanted to give you an opportunity in closing. To, you sat where they were at one point. Is anything, any word of encouragement or anything you'd like to share with them before we uh, close sure. here this morning? I would probably want to take the opportunity to encourage you guys that no matter what it is, whatever major that you're considering, God has definitely called us. You're each called for a purpose. Cry out to God. God, what is my purpose? What is your plan for me on, on this earth? Each and every one of you will serve a purpose. If you're willing, he will answer. If you don't know how the means to get to that point, just trust him 100%. Surrender it all to Christ because he will provide. His provisions blow me away. My favorite song that I keep on repeat, sorry, Alex, is Big Daddy Weave, um, Overwhelmed. And uh, God is so good. So in the midst of your loneliness, the midst of your uncertainty, just trust him. Just trust him. He'll meet you where you are. He will provide and he will guide. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, wanna, I definitely want to pray for you, and it really is a great blessing and honor. I'm so very, very proud of you. Um, and I'm so proud of the way that I raised you and discipled you into the direction. <laughs> share, share with us, share with us one story about the blessing and, and joy it's been. Now there have been many challenges in life, even in the last few years. You've talked about some things, and we won't we won't go into all those. But tell us a little bit. You've been in the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir for 20 years, uh, which is very exciting. You are taking a slight hiatus sabbatical right now, but you're still a member of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And uh, Edie and I on Sunday afternoons would often go over to to, to the four o'clock service and hear you sing. I'll never forget the time seeing you on Good Morning America, and the and the camera was was on you. <laughs> okay, I forgot the word of the song. <laughs> But he would be the one to point it out. <laughs> but tell us about the joy of being part of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And, sure. and just one, one, one story and then we'll close or anything. Okay. Um, I will say this, though. Yes, um, we did, and this is very odd. Um, we did grow up in the Brooklyn Tabernacle um, Church, but we also did grow up in the Nazarene Church. Um, my parents were big advocates that on Sundays we were in church all day. So, of course, as a kid, we were like, <laughs> But then as we got older to be able to appreciate and to really dive into the beauty of worshiping, it was really neat. So, um, but throughout the week for Bible study, VBS, whatever it was, we were always involved with the Nazarene church. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, I am a product. I might cry. Of the generosity of the people of the Nazarene church. There were literal times where we didn't know how God was going to provide for our next meal. And as God is my witness, ding dong, doors open, food, no washer, no dryer, ding dong. So the ladies from the church got together and bought my mom a washer. And Blanche and Margie paying my way through school time and time again. Even my first year coming here, 
being at Camp Deconic and Reverend Burgers and Blanche and Margie seeing that need. There's so much richness in the Nazarene church. And I am so grateful. And um, so God is so good. And so um, what were we talking about? (laughs) Brooklyn Tab, choir. choir, Oh, yeah, Brooklyn Tab. But yes, my point was that I've been involved in both. And it's so neat because um, between our pastor, uh, presently Pastor Dan Quagliata at the Nazarene Church, um, the bridge in Malvern, New York, and then Brooklyn Tab, and to know that we all have a wonderful relationship between Pastor Simbola and Pastor Dan and them and both of us all being involved, it's just, it's such a wonderful blessing. It's a, again, yes, there's a beautiful heritage in the Nazarene Church, but the beauty is knowing Christ and serving Christ and where you're called. Well, can we thank Vicki for being with us this morning? Beautiful. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us before we go. Heavenly Father, you have a plan and purpose for us all. Thank I pray you, for Lord. each uh, student in this room uh, this morning uh, that uh, they will be faithful to the call you've placed upon their life. And in those days where they're questioning and wrestling and concerning, whether it's questions of finances or what exactly you're calling them to do, may they recognize and have a peace that that's just all part of the plan. Uh, That sometimes we go through questioning and doubting um, because you are shaping us and forming us for a purpose, for a call. So maybe may they be faithful in that. Show us as a community how we can support and encourage them uh, to be faithful into the call that you have upon their lives. Thank you for the privilege and blessing it is to serve you. And Lord, as we've done uh, for the last year and a half or so, but haven't done yet this semester, I just feel it's appropriate for, for us to stand and sing together. Praise God.